it's not your fault Baby, it's not mine Not chance we're crossing the same roads All at one time Even if you see it coming No time to beg out gracefully One thing I know for sure Rats make dab in the middle of it. Rats make dab in the middle. We are rats make dab in the middle of it. Right on schedule. The secret truth. Through forgiveness, we awaken, transforming information and knowledge into wisdom. Co-hosts, Charlotte Littlefield and George Butler. Welcome to The Secret Truth. I'm George Butler along with Charlotte Littlefield Brown. She'll be uh, joining us a little bit later. She's got some late business tonight, but Charlotte will be with us uh, at the beginning of the second segment or a little bit later. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Alan Watt. He's a fine guest that we have this evening. And uh, we, this guy is a truth seeker like unlike anyone I've ever uh, encountered. He's an expert in the field of ideas, world system, parapolitics. He's truly seeking the truth, and he's written some very, very insightful things. His site is Cutting Through the Matrix. He has a body of knowledge about occultism and world systems that, uh, bar none, is, is the best. He tries to, to bring people out of this conditioned state. When he was young, he avoided some of that conditioning, and that enabled him to develop quite a, a worldview. And his view is right on. Welcome to our program, Alan Watt. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on, George. Well, I tell you, uh, things are really... Where shall we start, Alan? <laughs> There's so yeah, much out there. Yeah, what? you can't keep up with it, can you? I know uh, it's just so overwhelming, isn't it? What you know? I mean, it's dynamic. This G20, you know, that's mm-hmm. basically what what we have lined up to talk about uh, tonight. What what do you see happening over there on uh, uh, on the G20? What what's going on? I think one of the first big meetings that the G20 had to do with globalism had big demonstrations a few years ago. And I noticed at the time that the, the heads of the G20 suggested, it was interesting, they suggested that some of the NGO leaders be brought up to join their panel discussions. Now, these NGO leaders that they chose were from the same foundation-backed NGOs that belong to the United Nations. In other words, they're bringing on board their own employees to an extent to make it sound as though this is a new type of democracy. And I think after the riots, which they will have and they're predicted they're going to have, in fact, I think that the, the militarized police and the establishment want that to happen, uh, they'll come up with some new type of suggestion of a new system. And the NGOs will, unfortunately, the organized NGOs, the well-financed ones, will demand exactly what the bankers want, which is a world currency and a new type of system, but it's still going to be run by the same international bankers that lend money to the rest of the world today. So nothing really changes except the cover once again, and we'll be under a, a worse form of tyranny because, you see, at Bretton Woods, when they created the first uh, non sort off-the-gold standard system during World War II, John Maynard Keynes said, this is part one, he says, it'll last for about 50-odd years. He says, we won't see it in our lifetime, our our, our plans uh, 
come to fruition, he says, but part two will happen. And part two was to be to do with a new world system where the people will be born to serve the world system. That will be your function. And governments will be in collusion with banks and dish out a sort of a, a credit system to every citizen. That's their ideal utopia. And unfortunately, I think out of this, this organized this organized chaos that's to come, that's how they're going to guide us into exactly what they plan to do. Bretton Woods Part 2 with a, a world currency, the same bankers at the top, they own the World Bank. People don't realize that the, the World Bank really is just a conglomeration of the same international bankers. That's where they meet and loan out money to the nations. So you're going to give them full status, full power to uh, create debt for the whole planet, put us, all, put us all down. Every person on the planet is the guarantor for, for every loan. And it'll be worse than we have today. So uh, I think they'll get exactly what they want. And the biggest well-financed NGOs backed by the foundations, which are owned by the same bankers, will, will probably get put into the limelight uh, as the new stars to lead to this new system uh, to where they wanted to go. You know, that's a very good insight. You know what? I've looked over the uh, the list of uh, people that demonstrated today. Supposedly they had, I think according to police estimates, 35,000 demonstrators in the streets of London. But uh, when you look at those demonstrators and the groups that they represented, a lot of those are, are working for on international uh, types of uh, goals, yep. are they not? It's, you see, this is where they're going to couple this whole international world citizenship idea. Yes, um, exactly. The World Bank with sustainability is exactly what Rockefeller has been pushing his entire life. Sustainability and all the other big foundations, because it's one group, really. All these foundations are one group. And uh, sustainability is the big key. Now, under sustainability, you're going to control your life from birth to death with carbon taxes, what you can buy, what you can dispose of, etc., etc. Literally how you live and tax you for the very air you breathe. I'm, I'm not kidding. This is what's coming down the pike. And these NGOs that you saw today were mainly the green types. They're all financed by the foundations. These, these NGOs are not little grassroots organizations working out of kitchens and so on. Uh, they, they have their own office towers and full-time staff and computers and so on, and they're financed, and they have pension plans and so on, and they're financed, as I say, directly from uh, Rockefellers, Carnegie, Ford, uh, and the Rothschild Institutes. You know, uh, when I looked over the list, it looked like it to, to me it had a heavy Marxist-Communist uh, uh, following there, many of these groups. Did that come out of the Fabian Society way back in the 1880s? Did they actually begin this uh, collectivist left in UK? The, the, the Fabian Society is, you see, what you have, it's almost like, um, I'll tell you what it's copied on, actually, is it, the Catholic Church is a copy uh, of a group of eugenicists who set up, well, set up a, a, an organization such as the, the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, which blossomed after joining with the Alfred Milner, or Lord Alfred Milner's group of Roundtable Society into the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is the British version of the CFR. They're brothers. It's the same organization as the CFR. And their whole idea was to create a world society with world citizenship where the individual will be born to serve the world state. And their idea was to bring in free trade worldwide with, with this British democracy idea, knowing that democracy was a front. They, people have never had democracy because you still have this ruling elite that bypasses parliaments, these foundations and bankers and so on. And the, the Royal Institute of International Affairs 
these guys created wars. Now, Carl Quigley, Professor Carl Quigley, that was Bill Clinton's mentor and others, he chose them for road scholarships for world government. Uh, he said in his own book, Tragedy and Hope, uh, that um, the Royal Institute of International Affairs-CFR uh, has often been, been uh, mis- mis- um, misidentified as being communist because they seem to be bringing in a communistic system. And now that is correct. But uh, above the communistic system to run the general public, you'll have an elitist group. So for the public, you'll be run under a collectivist system, exactly what the Club of Rome, another branch. The state was modeled after the Catholic Church. So you have the Fabian specializing in one side of it, like a, like a, a monastery. Yet you have um, a different set of friars running the Club of Rome. And all the other think tanks are like another bunch of other friars, you see. This is how they do it, but they all really work together. They're specialists in their own areas, but they all work together at annual meetings. So this is how they set up this, this idea to have a, a global governmental system. As I say, eugenics is behind it. They do believe that the masses of people are inferior to themselves at the top. In their own writings, they've discussed this, how they have evolved more than the average person. You read that from the Huxleys, who belong to these groups. And they plan to start depopulating the world to a manageable level. This is all part of the one system that we're on it's, right it's now. In, it's social engineering taken to an nth degree. We're going to talk a little yes. bit about the poor laws of England when we come back. But uh, we'll be right back. Thank you very much, Alan. Listening to GCN, the Genesis Communications Radio Network. Welcome back to the Secret Truth. Welcome back, Alan. Why? It's a pleasure to be here, George. Uh, you know the uh, the poor laws were was that an earlier endeavor and social experiment in England to see how they could classify people into different groups and manage them. They had already done it long before that. I mean, England was a typical feudal system where there was only really two classes, and, and that was the lords serving the king in a descending order uh, down to the overlord over the land, your particular area, and the serf was just the ordinary person, the commoner, is another term for it. And uh, the, the serf was bought and sold with the land. So you had no rights whatsoever as a serf. In fact, the lords could kill you, and there was no laws on the books to, to triumph for anything. It wasn't within it. He called you a villain. In fact, the word villain is also for a serf. You could never be noble because you were born from the commoners. So the poor laws came in because they had the massive, not just demonstration, but riots at some point in the medieval times over the centuries. In fact, you had the diggers and different ones. Um, because um, they were trying to get the land back. The commoners were left with only a strip, generally, in every every borough, or shire, as they called the areas, uh, where they could grow their own food. The rest of the time, they had to work on the lands for the lords. And over time, the lords were taking more and more of the commons lands, as they call the commons, and leaving them with nothing. So they had riots and so on. So the, the answer was to uh, come up with the poor laws. Now, the poor laws really... Uh, we're, we're not, it's like everything in double speak. We've got to understand how these guys at the top work. Uh, it wasn't to help the poor, it was to start to eliminate the poor. They, they created workhouses. Uh, so when you, you became sick or whatever, or your husband died, or, or your wife died, or, or whatever it was, or you lost your job, 
they put you in the poor house. And people like Thomas Malthus, who was a eugenicist and uh, he was an economist for the British government, uh, said that uh, they could maybe put them in the poor house, work them very hard, give them a specific, uh, uh, very small diet, um, restricted diet, uh, and also put them very close to each other because uh, with lice carrying disease back and forth, if they're on the floor, about two feet was good because they come down with, with different kinds of diseases. He also advocated that they put these poor houses in swampy areas to make them as, as unhealthy as possible. So it was a form of killing off uh, the useless eaters, basically. Right. Uh, the vagrants or beggars, sometimes they term these people sturdy rogues. The yes. group was also termed the idle poor. Is that... <laughs> Man, That's I, right. I, I tell you. I, the term they used in Britain uh, was, was unfortunate. 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 Okay. And really, they, they meant useless eaters amongst themselves. Yeah. Do you think that the Fabian Society has worked uh, uh, to to really uh, to slow down a revolution in UK that might come from that left uh, collective left? Is that what the no no? In fact, the Fabian Society is one of the leaders of the collective left. The, the left wing don't realize that the Fabian Society that, that was set up, uh, pretending it, it's out there for the workers and so on, is run by the elite themselves and paid for by the elite themselves. You have to go into the writings of Sidney and Beatrice Webb, who s- set out their manifesto for the Fabian Society. They were all eugenicists. Um, they had H.G. Uh, uh, Wells as one of the founders as well. Uh, you had different authors uh, that were paid to write novels along the lines of eugenics, etc., uh, which they did as founders as well. But they wanted to bring the world down to a manageable population, and once again, they wanted a collectivist system to rule the bureaucrats over the public while they themselves had almost a brand new feudalism of the intelligentsia at the top. They call themselves the natural aristocracy. So, uh, okay, um, that was just a little idea that I came up with that... um, uh, you know uh, you, what you do if you if uh, to forestall or, or to keep a, a riot or a revolution from happening, and then you organize those possible revolutionaries. Is that sort of see? That's the point I was trying to make. That's and then right. you, and then you grow them, them into something that you want them to be. Right? Is that yes. sort of? In fact, the previous prime minister of Britain, uh, Blair, and the present one, Brown, are both members of the Fabian Society. They're also members as well. Of, of the Socialist International. They are internationalists. In fact, uh, Brown has said it openly at the European meetings. So here you are voting in Fabians, whose goal, just like Cecil Rhodes, because they're all part of the same, same group of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, this umbrella group, uh, they're, they're all, their goal is to bring us in almost like sheep with a dozen sheepdogs. Each one, each one of these societies represents a sheepdog pushing us into the corral at the same time. That's, what they, that's, what, that's really what they are. And so they've got ones for the right wing, ones for the left wing, and ones for all types in between. And they're pushing us all into the same sheep pen. That's how it's done. Okay. What, one thing I noticed within this group, uh, this of uh, you know activists and, and protesters today, I've been looking at their sites. Now, they have, they have a different slant now. It's a more vicious slant against bankers mm-hmm. and, and money and banking and finance uh, more than I've ever seen. It, was there, has this thing evolved a little bit different and, and it become dangerous for these, uh, these elitists or not? Well, there are groups that they don't control, and that, these are the ones that they're labeling anarchists. 
anyone who's not belonging to an official uh, paid uh, NGO, well-financed uh, NGO, is therefore an anarchist. So there are what they call anarchists out there who want to abolish uh, the banking system altogether. You do have uh, Marxists there as well. And uh, I also got a letter today from one of the groups, uh, and what they're demanding is that uh, uh, they create the international currency, which is exactly what, what the boys at the top want. So right. again, uh, this will appear to the public as though the people have demanded. They use these NGOs as speaking on behalf of the people, even though we don't vote them in, but that's how it appears to the public. And they'll say the people have spoken. They want an international currency, and they want sustainability. That's what they'll tell us. Yeah, they were seated in with those ideas a while back. How, what is the University of East London? What's, what's, is that a bastion of the collective left? They're all, they're all uh, connected, in fact, that was... Oxford really set up even the London School of Economics. Uh, each one has specialised their own area, and I always notice the ones who get sent off to the London School of Economics when they go back to their own countries end up uh, leading uh, separatist, mo separatist movements. That's often what they do. We had that happen with Quebec and Canada. Um, uh, the guy who became the first leader for separatism, uh, who used to belong to the Republican Party uh, or Conservative Party, uh, broke off. He was London School of Economics, and he became the leader for the separatist group. So they they play this this left right game all all along. They run both sides of everything. Yeah. Do you think Do you think that uh, this delusion that this collective left is uh, entrenched in, or is uh, you know uh, mesmerized by? Can Can some of those people come out of this with their new knowledge of way money is created from out of thin air and stuff? Could they possibly start moving out of that? that old paradigm into something that's more enlightened. It would take older people to do it, and here's, your, here's the kick with it. Since the, the 1950s, the, the Bernays and all these boys who gave us the cultures for the 50s, 60s, right up to the present time, um, created a youth culture. You're no one if you're over 20 or 30. That's really how it is. And because they've always used the youth for revolutions. Now, most revolutions are bloodless. They're not bloody. They're social revolutions. And what we're seeing now is a social revolution run by the big boys at the top and financed by them, too. So it's so you're saying they're picking up those those key people, putting them on uh, these committees, and they're going to have some input, right, for the new world order. That's hey. right. That'll be the <laughs> democracy. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, true democracy. We'll be right back. Thank you, Alan White. For listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Welcome back to The Secret Truth. I'm George Butler. Charlotte Littlefield Brown will join us uh, a little bit later. Welcome back, Alan Watt. Yeah, it's good to be here. Um, you know, they make it sound so like we're, we're really practicing democracy and we all love each other and we're all gonna, gonna get down the road and create a, a brand new world order and a new society. Is that sort of the hustle out there? That's it. In fact, you see, the students who are protesting are already conditioned with sustainability, the greening and how we must reduce the population. That's all part of it. Regardless of where they're coming from with their other demands, they're already um, conditioned with scientific indoctrination over many years. So what they will demand will be coupled with the, the agenda that the Rockefellers and so on actually have been advocating all along. 
you know, suit the boys at the top. We never get what we want because we're, we're guided in uh, and led by the leaders that are supplied for us to follow. Hey, I've got a new word, uh, matrix-tosis, okay? It's a disease of being in the matrix. What do you that's think? Right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Some people will actually get into one of the matrix rooms and think it's like Plato's cave. This is the real one. Yeah. I'll, just stay, I'll, just, I'll just stay here. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, tell us about your website and what you have there and and where when you broadcast on your radio program tell the listening audience a little bit about what your activities are yeah i i uh basically i've, I've written about uh, the system that we live in and how religion's been used and all religions actually have been used even if they start off genuinely and many of them do uh, they're taken over quickly by the dominant minority in every generation and those are, are always the ones who control the money system and then they use those same things, the religions, against the people or over the people to keep them uh, to be peaceable and happy and not to rebel. That's been used for so long. Uh, so I read about that. I give some of the histories of that and money as well. Money is an amazing thing, this abstract uh, oddity that our lives all depend upon, and yet we have no inputs into the value of it or, 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 or any of it, in fact. It's, it's so remote. It's like, it's like dealing with bankers. Bankers, international bankers, are like men from Pluto. They're so far away from us. Uh, they never speak to us. And the, the, the value of the pennies in your pocket go up and down like a yo-yo according to some odd mystical market that you have nothing to do with. Uh, so, I mean, this is the con that's been pulled for the generations. And I write about this, and I put it um, on my, in my books as well, some of the histories and the ancient histories of money as well and how it was used in ancient times. Even then, to bring in a world order, the Phoenicians, for instance, uh, were setting up, just wasn't just to do with trade. They were going over the, the Mediterranean and, and across the, the, the Middle East there, establishing colonies everywhere with the same type of free trade system, in a sense, they're bringing up today. The difference being, I don't think it's a difference, but they were setting up uh, literally slave colonies, each town or, or place or, or little city, was a, a colony where they made uh, a particular good for export only, and the bankers were always the middlemen who owned the factories, who owned everything, and uh, it's like a factory town they set up everywhere, but free trade came into it, and they were also putting out their own money across the ancient world, the standardized coin, and the standard weight, etc. So it's a standardization, that's the key to everything, standardization across the ancient world, Today they're doing the same thing on a global system, and that's why they want to bring in... Uh, you, you see, for the bankers' point of view, they, wanted, they always wanted central banks. When central banks were established, the governments then are used to, to collect the payment from the taxpayers. That's, that's the way they want, why they wanted central banks. That's why it's a prime tenant of the, uh, of the Marxist manifesto. Well, the, yeah, Marxist manifesto, that's one of the ten planks, isn't it? Yes, because it benefits bank. the bankers. Otherwise, the bankers would have to go around door to door trying to collect the tax money off you, as they had in the old days. And that's what they did in medieval England and Europe. One of the professors so, that... Oh, excuse me, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so, so therefore, um, the next step to that is to get a world bank and a world government running over the, the public uh, that'll be, be even more efficient. They won't have to go through individual nations, central banks, to get the cash back from the taxpayer. You'll have the authority of a world governmental system where your, your, country, your country's government will be a, a province, just a little province at the bottom of the totem pole. And, of course, it'll be enforced from the top right down. But 
ultimately, it's that we at the bottom are the only ones. It's true what Mark said. The only people who make things are, are the people who actually make things. These, these are, that's the only value there is. Everything else is taxation off of the public. We're slaves. We yeah. are slaves. And people really don't realize that. We are slaves, yeah. But it's sophisticated, and uh, it's hidden, and we're, well, we're caught up in a matrix, and we're, well, I mean, well, you have the intellectuals, they get lost in all the intellectualism, right? Yes, and, and that, again, is what uh, Professor O'Carroll, not quite quickly, it was actually, um, it was um, one, that it was Charles Galton Darwin in the 1950s in his book called The Next Million Years, about eugenical society run by the elites that he spoke for, he was a member of them, he said in his own book, he says, we, in the 1950s, he says, we are creating a new, more sophisticated form of slavery because slavery has always existed. And that's what we're living through. They simply call it taxation, and the government there that you think you elect is not yours at all. They're all placed in there. Those boys are vetted. And, and they put bills through uh, every day. They even read them, which create more and more taxes. You are the slave, and that's the bottom line to it. As simple as that. But but they put out a lot of pleasure-filled things, too, right? And sort of like they mesmerize and they make people feel good because people don't feel good, do they, about about themselves sometimes, do they? You're in a society, again, Bernays and, and again, the nephew of Freud and these boys, they, they ran American society. And uh, uh, there's videos I've, I've mentioned, uh, very well done ones by the BBC, on the history of the creation of American and Western culture by these scientific engineers of socialism, but they also created the commercial uh, system of consumerism. The whole idea was to make every person feel... Okay. I think we lost uh, Alan Watt there. Okay, we're going to get get him right back up. Uh, We're we're talking tonight. uh, We started out talking about the G20 that's just... uh, uh, concluded the march today in England, in downtown London. They started at the embankment there at the Temple Bank, and they marched, which is in the financial sector of of London. It's called the City of London. And when we get uh, Alan back up, we're going to talk a little bit about that financial center, too. Anyway, they started the march there, and they... Uh, Oh, it, it was like a serpentine through the streets. Uh, it wound around all down into the downtown area of London and by Big Ben in the, in the Westminster Abbey and in that area there. And then it diverted uh, up to the north, and then eventually it went to uh, Hyde Park. Uh, they had approximately 150 uh, organizations. The, the Salvation Army was out there. Uh, you had all kinds of ecological groups, ecology groups. You had Greenpeace. You had uh, all kinds of left groups, uh, far to the left some. You had the anarchists marching. Uh, I feared that uh, that this uh, protest movement in England, in, in London, and it started today and it's going to continue on through the, the G20 meeting, could turn violent. Uh, they have other uh, protests uh, planned in uh, in downtown London. Across from uh, on Thread Threadneedle Street is where the Bank of England is located, and they have a big demonstration uh, planned on April one, April first, two thousand nine, right in front of the Bank of England. I just don't think they're going to allow them into the area, and they're going to blockade off the streets. Now that's where there might be some confrontations. Because there are some anarchists out there that, you know, are hell-bent on, 
on really making, uh, doing some acts. I mean, some, um, you know, some action things they call them. So this could this could get violent later today. I believe you had a lot of well-intentioned people demonstrating, and I think it's like Alan Watt was saying earlier in our conversation, is that. What they've done through the Fabian Society, they've created the, the Marxist Communist left. They're managing those people. Okay, we're going to be taking a break here, and we're going to be coming right back for our final segment. We're going to open the phones up uh, at the top of the hour after we come back from the uh, top of the hour break. So y'all get ready to start dialing in and give us some calls, and Alan be more than happy if he's here to answer your calls. Otherwise, I'll take your call. Thank you be waiting for a day that won't come Thank you for listening to GCN Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today Welcome back to The Secret Truth I'm George Butler Charlotte Littlefield Brown will be joining us later Welcome back Alan Watt yeah, I'm glad to be on. I got cut off there. Oh, okay. Um, Source is unknown. <laughs> would you? Could you take some? Yeah. Could you take some callers? We got a caller that that jumped the, our our uh, gun a little bit. But would you like to take a caller here? Yes, let's try one. Okay, Frank from New York. What's your question for Alan Watt? Ah, uh, good evening, gentlemen. Good yes, evening. Alan. Uh, recently, there's been. I didn't know if you were over to the uh, World Economic Forum in Davos uh, earlier this year. But at the event, it's rather interesting the uh, newfound power that Russia has with its strong gold reserves and strong currency, and China with its tremendous balance of trade payments, not only with the United States, but with the European uh, community, uh, really asserted themselves. And they're demanding actually a new reserve currency or a new mm-hmm. uh, world uh, currency. Right. Uh, actually changing the makeup after 1971 when Nixon took the U.S. off the gold standard in the Bretton Woods, uh, uh, I guess, agreement or uh, formulation. Uh, no, it's really interesting because I think within the next year uh, we will see the central banks want to do two things. One, both Russia and China right now have tremendous unreported gold reserves that could enter into the financial system and uh, not only boost their uh, currencies, but at the same time allow many of the individuals that have been wanting to purchase gold that haven't been able to due to the scarcity of it. Uh, And number two, uh, in a sense, it would be a shift away from the uh, city of London, uh, New York uh, matrix uh, regarding the finance. And I think the world is ready for that. We in the United States may not be. Here's the con, con, though. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the same boys who run the city of London, who, who run the banks in Russia. Oh, I know and, that. They all, and run, they all and run the China as well. And, and in fact, they asked China to come forward, so it appeared to be another player for the first time asking for this global currency. The boys that run China are totally up to their, their eyeballs in uh, owing, owing stuff personally to the international bankers. It oh, was I know so that. interesting when, when Russia... Uh, supposedly went down and suddenly changed its coat um, to see that the top banker in Russia uh, with his own little private army escorting him out of the country went over to see his cousin uh, Lord Rothschild Mm -hmm. and he took millions of dollars with them at that time 
Yeah, uh, you see, they've all, they ran the Soviet system from, from London, and they run the present uh, government of, of Russia from London as well. So it doesn't matter who they get to come forward and demand the new system. Um, it, it, could be, it could be Tonga for, for, for all it cares, really, yeah. as long as it appears to be a, a foreign country out of the, the playing group that comes forward and asks for this global currency. And the IMF, remember, when it was set up, was to be the front group for the World Bank. Correct. And the, the, the head of the IMF came out just a two or three days ago in the paper saying this new currency probably will be out in about two months. That's correct. It's yeah. a special uh, drawing reserve uh, yes. currency. That's what I think they're calling it. But, no, I understand that. And the fact, too, is interesting regarding the banks. Uh, the first time ever a Rothschild bank is allowing partners outside of the families mm-hmm. to be in the bank. And 23% of one of their banks uh, mm-hmm. is uh, Chinese-owned which is very interesting. So, I mean, we're seeing also uh, a dynamic there. I'm not at all surprised with that, but I don't think it will be the United States or the EU demanding the currency. I think it will be the other parts of the world represented by those two spheres of influence, the Asian uh, sphere of influence uh, dominated by China, and I think uh, what would be Eurasia regarding uh, Russia. Uh, the well, former Soviet Union, the... and I think they're powerful enough with their assets right now and their resources. Uh, and let's face it, most of uh, Europe and the United States are dependent upon the industrial base in China. So in yeah, a because, sense, they because, seem to have the cards. The, uh, under the GATT Treaty, we, we set up China. We set Correct. up modern China. So again, we, we are, I, should, I shouldn't say we, I should say really the globalists themselves, the same mm-hmm. bankers who run the politicians and the Western world, set up GATT to create yes. China, and even in the CFR's own uh, talks, they said eventually uh, the U.S. will run the world for about 50 years, and then it will push, fail, push, fail, and then wither right down. China is then to take over the lead as a world policeman. That's in their own writings. This is all planned this way. Oh, yes, and I remember in 1980, the Trilateral Commission, with their uh, five-year series of uh, meetings called Democracy Must Work, and they define democracy... Uh, not just as, uh, I guess, a historical idea or concept politically, but as an economic uh, form, which was the exactly. five trading blocks. And yeah, that's, that's it, yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, there appears to be nothing that we can do about it. We, According to Dr. Quigley, whom I met many years ago at Georgetown, mm-hmm. uh, the tragedy and hope in the title, the tragedy is for people not to allow the enlightened uh, That's world believed in it. makers and shakers do their thing, and yeah. that is the hope for mankind, according to Quigley. So the tragedy mm-hmm. would be those that decide to protest this or to disengage from it. That's right. I mean, Quigley himself uh, didn't object to any of their plans, the CFR. Well, a few of them. He didn't no, no, he was it. actually hired to sort of write the history. In fact, he, he had was, You think they brought, the it, they brought it out purposely through Quigley to start oh, talking about it publicly? Uh, of course, I remember Alan. as an undergrad reading Quigley back in the 1970s, in the early 1970s. And, uh, you know, for those sort of in the area of uh, international affairs or banking finance, I mean, uh, you know, we read that. He was considered probably the most accurate hist- economic historian of the 20th century. Yet how many people know of 
that. And his influence with Bill Clinton was profound. Every Rhodes Scholar has to be a superb athlete. Hey, but Frank, Clinton the key was... to this, and I think <laughs> Alan might agree, it was not uh, required reading in economics classes at the university, was it? <laughs> well, it depends. It depends what university and who, who your professor Well, I mean, was. I mean, it wasn't nationwide for sure, right? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Absolutely. So, so they, didn't, they didn't have much of a distribution through the university system of that book. But I will say this. I certainly read his work at the graduate faculty at the New School for Social Research in the uh, 70s and 80s, so I'm not at all surprised that uh, yeah. you know, many others uh, hadn't read it or had read it. Thank yeah, you very much. Two. Okay, Frank, thank you very much. Yeah, plus two, Carol Quigley also was an advisor to, to the, 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 the state office and so on in other countries, uh, ethnic origins, cultures, etc., um, so he was, he was up there, too, and he also advised the military in different things. He wasn't just a, a little professor in his own little branch of economics or history. Uh, he understood a, a wide range of topics, and he was well sought after. He was a globalist. He did believe that intelligentsia had the right, basically, uh, to rule the general population. Now, remember, too, in his own works, he said that uh, the system... Uh, the, of this intelligentsia with the bankers, etc., uh, would form a new feudal system with, with the CEOs of international corporations being the new feudal overlords. And the people would be run in a collectivist system beneath them. That tallies exactly with the Club of Rome's publication where the founders wrote in their book, The First Global Revolution, uh, that we looked at all the systems of the world, and the one we most favor is collectivism. That's why it's often mistaken for being communistic. It is communistic to run the masses of the public, but it, it's run by an intelligentsia and the bankers at the top, a feudal... You know, the way I see it is that they create this collective, however you want to describe it, with whatever isms, but then they're going to dole out these benefit programs and these entitlements, and they keep everybody in line through that system, right? Well, you'll be a slave to it. Because yeah, that's it. It's feudalism. I mean, they give you this, they give you this, they ration this, they yeah. put you on a program if you're a good little boy. If you're not, they drop you out of there. They yeah, starve you to death, right? You will have no life of your own, no decision-making of your own. You'll be told... Uh, what drugs to take if they say you're hyper or whatever from childhood onwards. Um, that's the system they, they want. Um, it's a, it's true they slavery. sort of doctor you into the grave now, don't they? <laughs> they do. <laughs> they, 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 they administer a medical treatment. What, what, uh, iatrogenesis, uh, I, 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 atra, uh, I atra is that the word? Mm-hmm. Which means yeah. the inducement of, 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 of illness or death through medical treatment. Yes, and once again, uh, we're watching more and more uh, uh, lobbyists getting their way through government. They're all in the payrolls uh, to get the public drugged. Again, going back to Aldo Huxley, he said, what's wrong with drugging the public? He says, uh, to, to get peace, he says, uh, most folk are unhappy anyway. So they create apathy, unhappiness, and then they give you the solution until you can't think straight anymore. Yeah, and then, boy, <laughs> they got it worked out, don't they? I mean, it, they this is, I tell you, it's, it's a diabolical. But now, are people going to wake up and come out of this, Alan? Or they, they're beginning to. Will there be enough of them? You need to get more people who are older as well. Forget this youth culture stuff. People have wisdom and experience and memory of how things have gone. The young don't have that experience. I've got you. We're going to play a clip when we come back from uh, uh, William Greider. And, uh, and uh, it's an interesting thing that uh, Moyers had on Friday night. And then we'll, uh, we'll discuss it a little bit and we'll take some calls. So uh, y'all start calling in to our number, 
And let me see. Let me get that number in just a second. Anyway, we'll call in to us, and we'll get that number to you at the top of the hour. Let me get it just a second here. I always forget that number. 